recommend a, a book that um, has really helped me on this subject matter. It's one of the resources that I have been using quite regularly um, in this teaching of the mind. And, of course, the series is called Mind Games. And uh, it's this book right here, Joyce Meyer, uh, Battlefield of the Mind. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, some of you have read it, seen it. Battlefield of the Mind, Winning the Battle in Your Mind. Excellent book. Could not be better written in my opinion as far as the subject matter that we are talking about. And um, I, I just highly recommend this book completely. Let me pray. Father, as we go into this last lesson tonight on this series of the Battle of the Mind and the Mind Game series, we come against the enemy in the name of Jesus. For I speak to the enemy right now that you are arrested and you are bound in the name of Jesus. And we command you to leave this place now. For this is holy ground where the presence of the Lord dwells and you have no room, no place here tonight. And we thank you, Jesus, by your blood that you are covering us. This is a deep, sensitive subject, and the devil and the devil hates it. But, Lord, you have placed this burden upon me. And, Lord, I want to be a willing vessel to speak and to teach this. And, again, Lord, I pray that you use me tonight and you speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. It, it's, uh, it's not unusual for when I hit deep subjects like this, especially when it comes to the enemy and the strategy of the enemy, that the enemy doesn't attack me directly. And I can tell you just from experience these past few weeks, I've had uh, quite a bit of attacks. Yesterday probably being the biggest attack I had. Uh, but I know who I belong to. I know the blood of Jesus covers me. I knew this would stir up a hornet's nest. I knew that coming into this. Uh, but I have the Lord on my side, so that's how confident I am. So take that, devil. <laughs> All right, Romans 8. This is my last part three of the series of mind games. Romans chapter 8, verse 5. We hit on this last week, but I just want to hit on it again because it's very revelatory. It will bring revelation to you when you get this. Romans 8, 5, I'm reading from the English Standard Version in this. I love the way it's translated. It says, for those who live according to the flesh or the old nature or the old ways, meaning before Christ, they set their minds on the things of the flesh or the old nature. But, I love this but here, but those who live according to the Spirit of God set their minds on the things of the Spirit of God. And so we're in this, again, this battle, this struggle of our minds. And our actions uh, direct our direct results of our thoughts. We've learned that the past two weeks. And if we have a negative mind, then we will have a negative life. For what goes in will come out in our behavior. What goes in through the eye gates and the ear gates will come out in a behavior, whether it's good, bad, or ugly, or indifferent. If, on the other hand, we renew our mind, as it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, or we, we change the way we think. In other words, we rewire our thinking. And I, I wish if you get a chance to see that video of however they did it, 
uh, of putting a camera inside a person's brain and seeing those uh, dendrites grow as people are thinking. And those dendrites, those little branches that look like tree branches, are growing at a very high rate. And to know that if the devil can use the negative side of all that, the Lord can use the positive side of all that and counteract all those negative dendrites and replace them with godly uh, positive dendrites. So many people's problems today are rooted in thinking patterns. Everybody say patterns. So there are thinking patterns that so many people's problems are rooted in that actually produce the problems that we experience in our lives today. Satan offers wrong thinking to every one of us. But we do not have to accept his offer. We are to learn what types of thinking are acceptable to the Holy Spirit and what types are not acceptable. So I've been talking on and off for the past two years when I'd come in here and the Lord would drop into my spirit, talk about spirit, soul, and body. I've always verbalized it, but now I want to illustrate it for you. And I just this afternoon threw something together that's not professional. So can I have somebody, Nikolai, will you help me bring this over here and let me set this up? This is a very, I, I did not get an A in, in the art class, and so you'll see why in just a moment. I love visuals. All right, I love visuals. I'm a visual type of a person. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, as I said, I did not make an A. Handwriting is not all that great, but I think it's legible, and I'll explain it here to you. Uh, I need, uh, would one of the Teen Challenge ladies help me? Okay, man, you are fast. Come on up here. All right. Stand right here beside me. We're just going to read here in a few minutes. If you don't mind reading, how small is that? Thank you. What I'm going to do, it, this, is, this is spirit, soul, and body. Okay, this one up here, right? Yes, okay. The spirit is that which desires God and the things of the Lord. He does, it, we, that part of us that desires to know about the Lord, to live for the Lord. This is the side I almost made a little bitty paper angel for my shoulder here and a devil for this side, and I didn't have time. That would have been a great illustration. But this is the part, our spirit is the part that loves God, wants to do God's will. The body or the soul is our mind, will, emotions, and intellect. Okay? And then our body is our flesh. This is the part that wants nothing to do with God. We, are, we live in the flesh, so I've said this before, and I want you to memorize this, and maybe you can help me. Well, how do I start it off before? I've said this many times before, that we are a spirit that, what's that? That possesses a soul and lives in a body. We are spirit that possesses a soul, but we live in a body. Spirit, soul, body. The body or the flesh is in complete contradictory to the spirit man on the inside of us. What they're in battle for is this right here, this soulless realm, the mind, will, emotions, and the intellect. Okay? So this is what it's for. And I've kind of put this on a paper clip because I'm going to show you what that means here. If you'll come over here. 
okay, it's going to be real easy. Now, she's going to play a scenario through. And again, I just put this together this afternoon. And so she's going to read these scenarios. And depending on whether they're scenarios that benefit her spirit man or benefit the flesh is where this is going to be moved towards. Because I see your, your soul as a ballot box, like a voting box. When we're voting for congressmen, council members, president, any government officials, and you put your paper, your, your, your vote in the, in the box, it's kind of like the place that holds the votes. And whoever gets the most votes wins, right? It's the same thing between spirit and flesh, okay? So she's going to play a, a, a fake scenario. I did not call you in advance and ask you your history, so this is, this is something I created this afternoon. So scenario number one, let me, let me say this before you start. Before you live for Christ and you make the decision to become saved or to, to say, I am making a commitment to the Lord, I believe he died on the cross for my sins, and you've asked the Lord to forgive you and you've repented from your sins, before that happens, your soul is down here. Your spirit is completely dead. There's no life to your spirit, man, when you're not living for Christ. Okay, it's dead. Because we were born in a sinful nature, thanks to Adam and Eve, uh, this is dead. But the moment we give our life to Christ, something happens in our soulless realm that automatically puts us in a pulling direction toward our spirit. Because now when we get saved, or we start living for the Lord in His ways, our spirit man is regenerated. It comes alive. And we all know in the natural sense that when something's dead, you can't bring it to life. But that's the miraculous part of salvation. When you give your life to Christ, you become saved. And there is a salvation moment. And the miracle takes place that your spirit man that was dead is now alive in Christ. Because of the miraculous power of what Jesus did on the cross. Okay? Everybody follow that? So now there is the soul realm who now has an attraction to the spirit side, but also has the natural attraction to the flesh side. It's easier for this pendulum to swing this way. The drawing is much stronger this direction because we were born into sin, and we live in sin, and we will never get out of this sinful world until we get to heaven. Okay, There will be always the struggle between flesh and spirit. Okay? So here we are for the sake of today's illustration. I'm going to say we're going to put it right in the middle. So scenario number one, will you please read that out loud? I woke up in the morning with a happy heart, and I took time to read my Bible. Put, she read her Bible. She had a happy heart. Put that one, first one in there. Just throw it in there. That's your ballot. Now because you did something that fed your spirit, man, this gets pushed a little bit closer now into your spirit direction. Because you did something that was positive and was worthy of God's attention. Okay? So read your next one. What did you do next? I also took time to pray and talk to God before going to work. Okay. So she prayed. Do you think that's, do you think that's a, a direction towards the spirit of God? Okay. Go ahead and. All right. So now we're going to move it a little bit closer. So the spirit man is now gaining strength because she's putting her mind, she's putting her daily actions towards the things of the Lord, okay? Her next point for the day. While driving to work, I put on some worship music and sang along with it. Okay, so she had a time of worship, just her and the Lord. Do you think that was a direction towards the spirit man? Okay, go ahead and put it in there. 
All right, let's see what happens next. A car pulled out in front of me and I almost hit them. I hit him. I let him have it and cursed at him while showing him a hand sign that did not let him know that he was number one. Okay. All right. Use your imagination. All right. Put that ballot in here. Was that something that was wholesome for her spirit man, yes or no? Okay, she kind of got off kilter there, right? So you lost a little bit there because now your vote took away some of what was already happening that you had done great earlier in the day, okay? So now let's see what happens next. When I arrived at work in my bad mood, a coworker started asking me for personal advice, and I snapped at her to leave me alone and to go jump in a river and swim to another pond. Okay. I thought I'd make it humorous. Put it in there. Okay, that was not a good thing for a believer, right? Okay, you just fed your, your flesh. Okay, all these things are feeding one of the two. Okay, all right, what happened next? Not long after that, my boss jumped on me for turning in a report past the deadline. I went and vented to a bunch of my coworkers and wished that he w would go choke on a <laughs> jawbreaker. Okay, okay, put it in here. Okay, all right, was that? wholesome for you was that a good thing no it was not a good thing so okay so now we're going to move it you're, you're you're losing ground here you're losing ground here okay so let's see if we can do a little bit better in your wa daily walk with the lord i then was short with a customer who only wanted my help and in, in which i was hired to do the customer then rebuked me by asking where were you born in a barn this brought back painful memories from my past because I really was born in a barn, and my horrible, poor upbringing <laughs> began to haunt me. All right, so she had a bad experience, obviously. All right, didn't know you were really born in a barn, but they were accurate, okay? Now, did you have a good experience with that? It wasn't wholesome, right? Okay, so you're still losing ground here, all right? You, you, something's got to happen here, girl. At lunchtime, I felt horrible about the recent events of, of the day, so I took a moment to pray and ask God for forgiveness. Oh, okay, okay, put it in here. All right, so so you did something good. You recognized something. You started feeding your spirit man, okay? So we're going to move a little bit that way. What happened next? As I was leaving work, my car had a flat tire, and I just sank to the ground in tears, wishing I had been more brave. Hmm. Was that wholesome? What what got fed, the spirit or the, or the body, the flesh? Okay, okay. Later that night, I got inspired to read a Christian book that was highly recommended to me. It encouraged me enough to ask the Lord for more information. Okay, that was good, right? All right, put your ballot in there. Now you're gonna now you're gonna get some more strength towards your spirit, man. Okay. A song that I heard from my church on Sunday popped into my head, and I started singing as a praise unto the Lord. Okay, that was a good thing, right? Okay, you see the struggle between flesh and spirit. Okay, so you made a little bit more. Okay, good. What happened next? I started repeating out loud Proverbs 18.10 that says, The Lord is my strong fortress. The godly run to him and are safe. Okay, so she found a scripture that ministered to her, and she started repeating it, and that was a good thing. That was feeding your spirit, man, right? Okay, put it in there. All right, come towards us. What happened next? While I slept, I had a nightmare about the time when I was a child and my uncle molested me. I told God off for letting me go through that horrific experience. 
I decided that it wasn't worth serving the Lord if this is what I get for serving him. Okay, mm. put it in there. Which direction should I move with that? The flesh. She's, she's allowing her flesh, her mind, to dominate her behavior. Okay? So we're losing ground. We gain some. We lose some. Okay? At work the next day, a cr- Christian co-worker came to me and said they were praying for me. They didn't know why, but just wanted to let me know the Lord was there for me. I smiled as tears began to flow and felt a lie begin to conquer the darkness. Hmm. Okay, good. Put the ballot in there. And so you've gained some more ground in the spirit realm, okay, to feed your spirit man. Someone ministered to you because they were obedient to the Lord to say, hey, I just thought of you and the Lord put you on my heart. I prayed for you, okay? Good. I apologized to my coworker for yesterday's statement about swimming to another continent. She told me of her dilemma, and I felt the Lord give me the words to say to bring to help bring an answer to her situation. I ended up leading her to know the Lord as her personal Savior. Wow, very good. You're a soul winner. Very good. I bet you that was a big boost for your spirit, right? All right, very good. What happened next? On Saturday, my 8-year-old kept being disobedient, and I finally told him that I wish I had never had any children. He ran to his room in tears. Wow. Hmm. Okay, put it in there. So I'm assuming it would go this way, right? To the flesh? Not a good thing. Not a good thing. Okay. All right, what happened? What else happened? Shortly after, my spouse confronted me in a mean-spirited way and gave me a choice to straighten up or else we would get a divorce. Well, of course, I told him which heart clench he can go sleep in. Okay. Move you down here. Okay, not good. Not good. She's allowing her flesh to dominate in some of these situations, right? Okay, next. I immediately went into prayer to beg God for forgiveness and to help me become a better parent and spouse. Okay, so she obviously felt like needed forgiveness and just you did wrong, right? All right, go ahead and put it in there. So that was another win for the spirit. Okay, go ahead. What's next? I remembered Psalm 51 and began to read it out loud as an additional prayer. Okay, so she got a, a prayer, a, a chapter in, in the Psalms that she was reading, and it strengthened her, okay? So that's another point for the spirit man. I became very repentive to my 8-year-old son and to my spouse. It felt good to say I'm sorry and that I was working really hard to become a better parent and spouse. Lots of hugs and kisses followed with a huge wave taken off my face. All right, put it in there. Okay, that was another good thing that happened toward the spirit. Okay? Thank you. You did wonderful. Give your hand up for her. She did a wonderful job. All right. Obviously, this is some extreme measures. Well, let me say this. Maybe it's not extreme so much. Maybe some of us that are male or female, maybe our lives are like that or were like that. Maybe you have family members, parents that was this extreme. I don't know. But I was just doing this to create an illustration of how spirit, soul, and body work in conjunction and how this part right here is the part that the Lord is after and the enemy is after. And whoever is fed the most becomes the strongest. Okay? If you feed the spirit man more, this way, your spirit will become stronger. It will dominate. It will dominate over the flesh because it's like lifting weights. When you lift weights, you become stronger. 
but it takes straining, it takes pressure, it takes all those things to build muscle mass. But you can also feed the flesh more, and then if that dominates, then your spirit man ends up uh, being neglected or even dying spiritually. And this is why some Christians end up backsliding, we call it. The Bible calls it backsliding, to where they once served the Lord, but they got away from the Lord because they allowed circumstances of life to dictate their direction instead of them in their mind and through the help of the Holy Spirit to dictate their their situation for them. All right? Was this okay? Did you like this? It kind of gives you an idea. All right, I'm going to... I'm done with this. So, so saying that, this that is what I wanted to illustrate with you, uh, that right there. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, in the new in the in the Living Bible translation, it says this. For we are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but we're fighting against persons without bodies or spirits which is the evil rulers of the unseen world, those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world, and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. So that plainly says that you and I are battling spiritual powers and not flesh and blood, not humans. Yes, the enemy will use humans. Yes, the Lord will use humans, but we do not fight against man. We fight against spiritual wickedness and forces, which is Satan's uh, domain in, in all of his hordes of hell. You'll see from this scripture that we are in a war, and our enemy is Satan, and he attempts to defeat us with a strategy and with a deceit through well-played well-laid plans and deliberate deception. He candy coats his lies. He makes lies look like truth. The Bible says in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says that Satan is the father of all lies. He cannot tell the truth. And he lies to you and me as Christians. He lies to those who are not Christians. He is a liar. He tells us things about ourselves about other people, about circumstances that are just not true. He does not, however, tell us the entire lie all at one time. He begins bombarding our minds with a cleverly devised pattern of little nagging thoughts, suspicions, doubts, fears, wanderings, or reasonings or theories. He remembers everything that we do, and he will be always reminding us of our past. He moves slowly and cautiously. After all, well-laid plans take time to create. His strategy is warfare. He has studied us for a very long time. He knows what we like. He knows what we don't like. He knows our hot buttons. He knows our weaknesses. He knows what buttons to push. He knows us well. He knows our fears. And he's willing to invest any amount of time it takes to defeat you and I. It's one of the devil's strong points 
is patience. He's a very patient spirit. He is very patient. Now, I want to talk to you just for a very brief moment on the subject of strongholds. Because this is how the devil really gets into your mind and creates what we call strongholds. Or another word I like to use is mindsets. Okay, these are thought patterns. Remember we, we said the word patterns earlier. These are thought patterns that the enemy, the devil, will get into our mind and will keep playing the same phrase or the same word over and over and over again until a word or phrase that is there to destroy you but will become more of a permanent long-term memory. Now, I didn't talk about it last week, and I'm going to briefly talk about it just for a few seconds here, and I'm still studying the subject of the conscious versus the subconscious. And the way I have interpreted through my studies is the conscience uh, is only awake when you're awake. When you sleep, your conscience goes to sleep. But your subconscious never sleeps. Your conscience deals with your short-term memories. Your subconscious deals with your long-term memories. So that's the reason if you can, um, let me just say this out loud. Uh, somebody quote, or if you want to do it together, John 3.16. Okay, y'all did it. I guess you did it. I didn't really understand you, but that's okay. That scripture, for those of you who memorize that, is in your subconscious mind. Why? It's in your long term. Because you have probably as a child or at some point in your life said it so often that a pattern was created that went from your conscious short-term memory into your subconscious mind. And now it's built. It's like locked in there. And so there are memories, there are statements that were said to you as a child, as a teenager, as a young adult, whenever it is, that were from the enemy that were lies to you that has become, went from the conscious level to your subconscious level, and it haunts you. There are memories that some of you are battling to this day that took place years ago, if not decades ago. And some of you right now, as I'm even talking about the subject, you're your mind is already at work thinking in full color those memories because you've had some strongholds or some mindsets that have been placed in your mind by the enemy that has become a part of who you are. And because it went to your subconscious mind, now it becomes out in your behavior, especially whenever the subject is brought up. Some of you may be even getting very emotional as I'm even talking about this subject because the memories are coming forth. You weren't thinking about them while you were coming into this building most likely, but you're thinking about them now because I am bringing up knowledge that dealt with a sensitive past that had to deal with a memory or an experience that was not fun whether it's sexual molestation or whether it was a divorce or whether you were told by a doctor that you had cancer or some deadly disease, whatever they may be, there are some mindsets and strongholds the enemy will always play over and over and over and over in your mind. 
because it has moved from your short-term memory into your long-term memory. So Satan is the father of all lies. And the strongholds are this, and I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, and this is what it says. I'm not expecting you to turn there for the sake of time. I will get you my notes next week if you want them. It says this, for the weapons of our warfare are not physical weapons of flesh and blood, but they are mighty before God for the overthrow and destruction of strongholds. Inasmuch as we refute arguments and theories and reasonings and every proud and lofty thing that sets itself up against the true knowledge of God, and we're to lead every thought and purpose away captive into the obedience of Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. Okay, so this explains very clearly that we're not battling humans. We're battling the spirit world and the battle is taking place in our minds. And that there are strongholds that we as body of believers, as Christians, that we have the power and we have the authority to break down and pull down strongholds out of our minds, and you can't do it by yourself. It has to be with the help of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. You can try your best, but you will never be successful unless you have the power of God, who is the ultimate spirit leader of our lives and has complete dominance and control over the enemy. And so we have the Lord upon our side. How many of you are thankful that he is on our side? We don't have to fight alone. We have him fighting along with us. So a stronghold as a definition is this, an area in which we are held in bondage or imprisoned in our minds due to a certain way of thinking. Okay? For some of you, as I was talking earlier, memories come to the surface of bad moments and the and the devil will use those memories to come against you but here's the thing i think i said it last week or the week before when we ask for forgiveness from god of all of our wrongdoings the lord never remembers those things that's the kind of god that we serve the enemy will always remember but God never remembers your past mistakes and your past sins. I'm thankful for that. I am so thankful for that. But a stronghold is an area in which we are held in bondage due to a certain way of thinking. Through careful strategy and cunning deceit, Satan attempts to set up strongholds in our minds. And these strongholds are created through repetition or repetitious negative thoughts over many years. And if we look closely at verse number five that we just read, it clearly shows us the location of the battlefield on which this warfare is waged. The verse that we just read tells us that we are to take these weapons, the weapons of God, and refute arguments because the, the devil will argue with you. He is an arguer. He will always try to make his statement clear to you and bring a lie to you. The devil argues with us, and he offers us up theories and reasonings. And most strongholds begin taking place in our minds in our childhood. 
There have been times I've sat with people in my office through very, very personable, very touchy, very emotional moments. And one of the things that I've always tried to dig into of whatever they're battling with today in the spiritual realm, I always try to dive back in as an infant children. So I ask questions. What happened as a child? How were you raised? What, did, what environment were you raised in? Were you raised in a dysfunctional environment or a functional environment? Were you raised in a godly household where Jesus was the first of, of everything that took place? Or were you born in a household and raised in a household where God wasn't even in the picture? Because those tell me something. Because we are a product of our environment. And our childhood is the most formidable years of our life. And that's the reason I've said it many times that we need to protect our kids at all costs. Because the enemy, if he can get into the minds of our kids, he can warp them for the rest of their lives. But they can change with the power of God. I'm not saying that he wins it all together. And so it starts from a childhood. I'm going to look at the story of two people. Their names are John and Mary. We're just going to use those names just because of being fictitious characters. But they're married. They're husband and wife. And they love each other. But I'm going to tell you the sides of both John and Mary. And let's start with Mary's side. And here's her story. Mary and her husband John are not enjoying a happy marriage. There's strife between them all the time. They're both angry, bitter, and resentful. They have two children who are being affected by the problems in the home. The strife is showing up in their schoolwork and their behavior. One of the children is having stomach problems caused by alcohol. Mary's problem is that she doesn't know how to let John be the head of the home. She is bossy. She wants to make all the decisions, handle the finances, and get to the children. She wants to work so she will have, she will have her own money. She is independent, loud, demanding, and is a boss. And now you may be thinking, I've got some answers for her. She just needs Jesus. Well, she does know Jesus. Mary received Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior five years ago, just three years after they got married. And some of us may ask, you mean there hasn't been any change in Mary since she's accepted the Lord into her life? Well, yeah, there's been some change. She believes she's going to heaven, even though her bad behavior causes her to feel constant condemnation. She hope, she has hope now. Before she met Jesus, she was miserable and hopeless. But now she's contented. Mary knows that her attitude is wrong. She wants to change. She has received counseling from two people, and she gets in almost every paragraph asking for victory over anger, rebellion, unforgiveness, resentment, and bitterness. Why hasn't she seen improvement? Mary has strongholds in her life. They've been there for years. She doesn't understand how they got there. She knows that she shouldn't be rebellious, bossy, nagging, and all those other things. But she doesn't know what to do to change her nature. It seems that she simply reacts in certain situations in an unseemly way because she can't control her actions. Mary can't control her actions because she doesn't control her heart. 
She didn't control her thoughts because there are strongholds in her mind that the devil has set up in her life. Satan begins to initiate his well-laid plans to sow his deliberate deception at a very young age. In Mary's case, her problem started long ago in childbirth. You see, as as a child, Mary had an extremely domineering father who often spanked her just because he was in a bad mood. If she made one wrong move, he would vent his anger. If she made uh, for years she suffered hopelessly and helplessly as her father mistreated her and her mother. He was disrespectful in all his ways towards his wife and daughter. Mary's brother, however, could do no wrong. It seemed as if he was favored just because he was a boy. By the time she was 16 years old, Mary had been brainwashed for years by Satan who had told her lies that were something like this. Men really just don't care what you do. They're all alike. You can't trust anyone. They will hurt you and they will take advantage of you. If you're a man, you got it made in life. You can do anything you want. You can order people around, be the boss, treat people in any way you please, and nobody, especially wives and daughters, can do anything about it. As a result of of Mary's mind and her thinking processes and her experience as a child, Mary's mind was resolved by saying, quote, when I get away from here, nobody is ever going to push me around. Satan was already waging war on the battlefield of her mind. Play those thoughts over and over again in, in your head, a hundred thousand times or more over a period of ten years, and you and just see if you're ready to get married and become a sweet, submissive, adoring wife. Even if by some miracle you would want to be, you wouldn't know how to do it. This is the kind of mess where Mary finds herself. I don't know if you in this room maybe have experienced that, but the Lord has. But in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, it says this. This is Jesus speaking. If you abide in my word, and hold fast to my teaching and live in accordance with it. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Set you free if you know the truth. If you abide in the Lord and you will abide in his word, you will saturate yourself with the things of the Lord, the word of the Lord. If you saturate yourself, you will finally be revealed truth, and the truth will set you free. This verse tells us that we are to win the victory over the lies of Satan by getting knowledge of God's truth and allowing the word of God to renew our mind, to change our thinking, and then using the weapons that we found in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to tear down strongholds. In Mark chapter 4, verse 24, it says this. This is good. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. I think that's 
transformed into Jesus. That movie's different. This is the amplified version of the Bible. It's translated this and other versions into different words. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you. In other words, what's the saying? What goes around comes around. I can give it a whole, I can give them several weeks of not saying much worth of teaching on that, on the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. What you sow is what you're going to get. You sow good, you're going to reap good. You sow bad, you're going to reap bad. Many of us are reaping bad because we've sown so many bad seeds in our life in the past, and we wonder why we're, we're getting what we're getting. It's all, all because that we sowed the wrong seed. Two other weapons that we can use against Satan is prayer and study. Probably the two most powerful weapons that you can use is prayer and study. We all know our mother's prayer. Prayer and study. Prayer and him to come in your situation to help renew your mind, to renew your thinking, to help you in a certain situation. Prayer and, and telling how wonderful he is and how magnificent. That's praise. Praise is telling God how great he is. And so those two weapons alone can help bring defeat to the enemy. If you get a chance, you need to go to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament was about King Jehoshaphat. Okay? This is the power of praise through music, through song. Jehoshaphat was king of Israel. And he found out that there were three countries that were getting ready to come do battle against them. And anytime you got three against one, you, you better get scared, right? So Jehoshaphat, King Jehoshaphat, and the people of Israel, when they heard that three countries were coming against them, they immediately went into prayer. Immediately. Matter of fact, they fasted and prayed. That's a whole other teaching on, on the subject of fasting. But they fasted and prayed to get the mind of Christ, to find out what to do and how they should go about being protected. To make a long story short, Jehoshaphat was impressed of the Lord that when they were going to battle against these three nations, remember, three against one, Jehoshaphat didn't send out his warriors first. What did he send out first, for those of you who know the story? He sent out his praisers first. In other words, he had a praise and worship band like Bethesda, and he, like he had a Pastor Brent probably, and all the orchestra, and all the other singers in the choir. The Bible says that he sent the singers out first, and they started praising the Lord through song. And the story goes that the enemy was, there was a confusion brought amongst the three clans that were coming against them that they ended up fighting and killing them on the cross. That's the power of our song of praise. Can you imagine Paul and Silas in the, in the jail cell at midnight chained to a dirty dungeon wall underground? I can't imagine what it would be like. But they sang songs to the Lord they had a breakthrough and chains fell off in the jail cell today. But prayer and praise are some of your greatest weapons that you can use against the enemy and the devil hates when you pray and when you praise. 
use those to your advantage because they're weapons that God has given to us. So let's look at John's side. We saw Mary. Look at John's side here right quick. John loves Mary, but he too has problems that are contributing factor to the situation that he and Mary face in their marriage and in their family. John should be taking his position as the head of the family. God intends him to be the priest of the home. He is also born again and knows the proper order for family life. He knows that he should not allow his wife to run the household, the finances, the children, and him. He knows all this, but he doesn't do anything about it except feel defeated, and he retreats to the teachers of the courts. John is hiding from his responsibility because he hates confrontation. He prefers to take a passive attitude of peace by saying, well, if I just leave this situation alone, perhaps they can work themselves out. Or he excuses himself from taking real action by saying, I'll pray. Of course, prayer is good, but not if it's merely a way of acknowledging responsibility. So let me clarify something here, what is meant by me saying that John should assume his God-given position and calling. He should not come on like a Mr. Macho and ranting and raving about his authority. He needs to take responsibility, and with responsibility comes that authority. He should be firm with Mary, but loving as well. He should reassure her that even though she was hurt as a child, she will gain confidence that not all men are like her father. John should be doing a lot of things, but like Mary, he also has strongholds that open the door for the devil to hold him captive. There is also a battle going on in John's mind. Like Mary, he was verbally abused from childhood. His domineering mother had a sharp tongue and frequently said hurtful things to him like, John, you're such a mess. You'll never amount to anything. John tried hard to please his mother because he prayed her approval. That's how children do. But the harder he tried, the more mistakes he made. He had a habit of being clumsy. So his mother told him all the time that what a clutch he was. Of course, he dropped things because he was trying so hard to please his mother that it made him nervous. And so he defeated his purpose. He also experienced some unfortunate rejection from children with whom he desired to be friends. This type of thing happens to most of us at some time in our lives, but it devastated John because he already felt rejected by his parents. And there was a girl whom he really liked in high school who rejected him for another boy. By the time all these things had tallied up in John's life, and the devil had worked on him building strongholds in his mind for years and years, John simply had no courage to do anything but be quiet, shy, and afraid. John is a low-key type of person who simply chooses not to make friends. For years, he has been having thoughts directed into him that go something like this. There's no point in telling anyone what to do. They won't fix it anyway. You want people to accept you. You just need to go along with whatever they do. The few times he tried to stand his ground on any issue, it seemed that he always confronted his parents. So finally he decided that confrontation was the most effective way. He reasoned in his mind by saying, I'm going to leave anyway to him so long as he doesn't. 
See, I hope you've seen that these two parable type of stories, how Satan will take circumstances, real life circumstances, and he will use them to build strongholds in our lives. But thank God we have weapons that the Lord gives to us to help battle and fight against the enemy and against our faith. John and Mary's problem was eternal problems. It started in their thought life and their attitude. And their outward behavior was only a result of their inward life. Satan knows well that if we can control our thoughts, we control our actions. And see, you may have some strongholds in your life that need to be broken. So I want to encourage us tonight by saying that God is on your side and that he is fighting with you. One of the strategies of the enemy is to lie to you by saying the struggles that you're going through, he'll say two things. Number one, you're doing it all by yourself. No one else is having the same struggles you are. And number two, you're fighting it all by yourself. If he can convince you of those lies, then what he has done is he has separated you from Christ and his word. It's always been a strategy of the enemy to divide and conquer. Even in regular war today, that is a a warfare strategy of dividing the masses and put them into smaller groups, separate them from their their other people on their side, then they have much more control and power over smaller groups. I'm not a sports person, but I know uh, from high school football that at every game, whatever two teams are playing in high school on the field, in the weeks to come ahead, whoever the opponent team are, they're going to be playing, they have scouts in the, uh, either in the box or in the stands because the future team they're going to be playing, that person is actually watching to see how that the team they're going to be playing against, how they plays. They're making notes of, of, how, of, of who their good players are and who their weak players are. They may be even videotaping it. I don't know all the legalities of that, but they are taking back information to the head coach and saying, okay, this team we're playing next week, we better watch out for number 33 because he is a big refrigerator. Oh, and number 26, oh, man, we'll just, we'll just pile over him. He's going to be an easy one. Their kicker, horrible, horrible. We should be able to go over things. And so they strategize in advance. Most of them do anyway. See, they're the exact same strategy because he knows your heart and knows your weaknesses. So in closing, I want to do a summary. Number one, we're engaged in war. Right? Number two, our enemy is Satan. Number three, our, the mind is our battlefield. Number four, the devil works diligently to set up strongholds in our minds. Number five, he does it through strategy and deceit. And number six, he's in no hurry. He takes his time to work out his plan. He's got your whole life planned out. He just doesn't take you out early. And if he can take you out early, he will. And how many lives have been taken out early that was a bad decision that you made? Drunk driving is one of the number one ways that people are killed in this world. All because of bad decisions. Stand with me. 
I want us to confess right now, as I said last week, one of the ways to be freed from strongholds and to help the Lord to help change our mindsets is we've got to confess, first of all. We have to confess what we've done wrong. We can't change what we don't acknowledge. And if we don't acknowledge it, then we can't confess it. And there are ways, there are strategies, there are sins, there are things that have happened in your life, maybe even as early as today, maybe this week, maybe years ago. It does not matter that there are strongholds still we're battling with. And the Lord is saying, I am giving you the power through my Holy Spirit to defeat these mindsets. And again, one of the ways you do that, or several of the ways that I want to mention is pray, prayer and praise, and by repeating the Word of God constantly over and over. That's the reason scripture memorization is a great weapon for you. Because if you can memorize scripture that benefit your spirit man, that feeds your spirit man, when you're going through something, you can pull up from your mind, your memory bank, that scripture and be able to be right on target with the word of God. Even Jesus himself, when he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and he was tempted by the devil, remember that story? What did Jesus use against the enemy? He used scripture, right? So if the scripture is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us as his disciples, right? It's a reason memorize scriptures as much as you can and use them as weapons against the enemy because scripture is truth and Satan cannot stand truth. It's kind of like he, it's like pouring salt on a snail. What do they do? They shrivel up and kind of get dry and just, that's, the, that's what the devil does. The word of God makes him retreat instead of advance. And so what I want us to do, I want us to lift our hands before the Lord as a sign of surrender. And I just want you to pray in your own way and say, Lord, I know I have faults in your eyes. But, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you forgive me of all of those ways. Now, some of you may need to think about what they are. You, the Lord is bringing to your memory those thoughts maybe that have never been confessed and so either tonight, right now, or sometime in the near future, you need to get before God and say, Lord, I acknowledge what I did was wrong in your eyes, and I ask for you to forgive me. I ask you, Lord, to cover that in your blood so that you never see it anymore. Father, I ask that you just help me never to relive those moments again. I know it's the enemy's strategy to bring up my past, but Lord, help me never to remember those moments. Wipe it from my memory, Lord. Change the way I think. Change the wiring of my mind. And Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God that's helping us. And I praise you for that. I praise you and I magnify your name. And Lord, I'm talking to you right now because I have a sincere belief in, in my heart, Lord, that you can help me and that you love me and that you want me to live and not die, that you want me successful in life, that you don't want me poor, that you want me to, to have resources to be able to do your will, Lord God. I thank you for that. I speak that in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we declare by the power of your word, Lord, that we are victorious, that we are not losers, that we are the head and not the tail. We are on top and we are not on the bottom. We are on top because you have placed us on top. 
We have power and authority over the enemy, and we acknowledge that. And by your authority that you've given to me, we bind the enemy right now in the name of Jesus. Some of you need to start practicing putting the enemy in his place with your mouth and with your lips and with your tongue. Put him down. Say, devil, in the name of Jesus, you are not going to dominate my life. You are not going to have control of my life, for I am a child of the living king. I am blood-bought. Jesus died for me. I've accepted him as my Lord and Savior. And Satan, you know that, and you will not have victory over me. Now, I have victory over you because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I bind you, devil. You have bound me for years. Now I reverse the curse, and I put you in bondage. In the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus, Satan, you have no right. You have no authority. You cannot. You cannot separate me from the love of God, for I am his, and he is mine. And devil, you are a liar. Everything that you tell me is a direct lie, and when you lie to me, I'll know it to be an automatic lie, and I'll automatically think the opposite and know the truth of God's word. For I am somebody. You want me to think I'm nobody, but devil, I am somebody because I am a child of the king. And we thank you, Jesus for your power and your might, and we praise you, we adore you, and Lord, there may be times we'll sing songs to you, Lord, even in private, and the enemy has to flee because of our praise, our worship, and our prayers to you, mighty God. What great weapons, Lord, is, is are these things in your word? In Jesus' mighty name, everybody say, in Jesus' name. Now say it like you mean it, in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated just for a moment. I want you to share with No, share it. Oh, it's going to take you that long? You sure you can't can do this in a few minutes? Okay, she was going to share something. Maybe another time she can do it another time. All right, God bless you. We love you. Have a great evening. We'll see you next uh, this coming Sunday.